you guys have your Bibles uh, this evening, I invite you to open up Psalm 140, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us this evening. Psalm 140, we begin, is a, a, a Psalm of David, um, so it's got a little bit of everything in it. There, there's several styles of psalm, there's a psalm of lament, which is usually a, a psalm that begins with the phrase, deliver me, save me, help me. There's also something called imprecatory psalms, which is a, a psalm that's calling for God's vindication. When you think about that phrase, you think about uh, Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, okay? Just as a little segue here to help you understand imprecatory psalms. Remember when Mary uh, is at the, the wedding feast at Cana, the first miracle Jesus did? And uh, one of the things that the Bible indicates... Uh, I believe in that story is the idea that Mary's looking for vindication. Meaning what? She, for 30 plus years, had had to live with the stigma of having a child everyone said was out of wedlock. And not acknowledging the story that she said, no, this is the Son of God. Uh, I'm not pregnant by a man. I'm, 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 uh, I am bearing the Messiah. <laughs> Well, nobody ever believed that, right? We know that because that was a charge that the Pharisees had against Jesus. So when that first miracle comes up, <clears throat> Mary is looking for Jesus, right, to turn what? Water in the wine? And what would that do for all those people in the wedding? What would it say? It would say it would be a vindication for Mary. He is. Now, nobody ever knew about it, right? I think she was hoping that it would be, you know, more fanfare. Fireworks going off, look what my son did, but that wasn't really how, how it went down. But Jesus did turn the water to wine. In a psalm, in precatory psalm, a call for vindication is basically that call from I've been being hammered by the wicked. By you, the wicked, remember the wicked can be a group of people, it can be the world, it can be the devil. A lot of different ways of looking at that concept but it's like, I've been getting beat by, by the world, or I've been getting beat by evil, or I've been just going through the ringer, and I just would like, God, you to take care of it. Now, ultimately, we know that there is a judgment day coming, right? Everybody with me? The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. So there will be a judgment. An imprecatory psalm is, is calling for that. So oftentimes, you put those two together. A psalm of lament, Lord save me. Uh, a psalm, uh, an imprecatory psalm, which is basically God get them. Get the wicked. And keep in mind, that's not necessarily personalized. That concept is, is more of the system in opposition to God. Okay? And then usually at the end of those kind of psalms, which we'll be looking at tonight, he, uh, he comes around to confidence. I know God's with me. Alright? Lord help me. God get them. I know God's with me. It's kind of a, a loose pattern of, of what oftentimes is called a, a lament and imprecatory psalm. So that's what we have in uh, basically the next three that we're going to look at tonight. So look how he begins. He begins with a prayer of deliverance. So the beginning is a, a lament. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men. Now, he's not naming names, right? So what's he talking about? 
Evil men is the concept of those who speak or plan evil things. Violent men are those men who do violent, horrible things. You can see both of these kind of people every night on the news. Right? Somewhere there's a story about people with evil plans. And somewhere there's a story about somebody that did, did something violent. Right? So, so the beginning, David, this is David now, he's saying, Lord, deliver me from them. Deliver me. I don't want to go down their path. In other words, I don't want to be sucked in to being like them. Right? You guys ever watched uh, a movie or read a story where somebody is, is trying to walk uh, straight and narrow and they get sucked in becoming just like the people they're trying to be different then, right? And you end up doing the same stuff. What, what happened? You became just as evil or just as wicked as those people you were trying. Now, the world would say that that's okay, but God never does. God never does. He has a way that's a little different than that. So he says, deliver me from evil, preserve me from violent. And then he describes in verse 2, who plan evil things in their heart, they continually gather together for war. Verse 3, they sharpen their tongues like a serpent, and the poison of asps is under their lips. So what do we got? We got them planning evil in their hearts and continually looking to make war. Again, those are all things we can see on the news, right? So we can say, does... How does God define this wickedness or evil or, or violence? It's just, he just gave it to us right there. So continually looking for war. And then secondarily, the evil men, they sharpen their tongues and the poison of asp was under their lips. What's that mean? They are lying. They're cheating. They're conniving to get ahead. Now, to me, that's a perfect uh, uh, description of a world in rebellion against God. And we don't want to find ourselves there. Okay? The people of God, the children of God, you and I, should not be able to be described this way. And if we are, then we, like David, need to pray this lament. Deliver me, O Lord. Because I don't want to be like this. You guys get what I'm saying? So this is kind of a a little glimpse into the heart of David. He says in verse 4, he says, Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked... Preserve me from violent men who have purpose to make my steps stumble. So he asks a couple of things, basically cover the same thing. See where he says in verse 4, keep me, and he says preserve me. Both of them mean protection, rescue, or preservation. And all of those things can mean, hey, I don't want to fall into their traps the way they're trying to get me. Or it can mean... I don't want to follow their steps. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to do the things that they do. So he's asking God to provide that, that preservation. In verse 5 he says, The proud have hidden a snare for me in cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah. Again, it's the same way, guys. I, I don't want you to miss this. It can always be both looking out at a wicked world or looking in at a wicked heart. Are you with me? Be looking out, saying, man, look at all those, those people doing those things. But I think it's not just, that's why David uses poetic speech. Because he's not just talking about what's out there. What else is he saying? I got some of this in here. And I need you, God, to deliver me. I need you, God, to protect me. 
I need you, God, to guide me because that's not the path I want to walk. And if we're honest, it, it keeps you and I from being hypocritical by always seeing evil somewhere else. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that God saw the hearts of men and their desire was evil continually. And just in case you think after Genesis 6 that went away, then you have the book of Jeremiah, right? Which says the heart is deceitful above all things. To me that means that that, stuff, that junk we are predisposed to. We need God's hand on us. We need His deliverance. We need His protection. We need His guidance. Where do we find all those things? In His Word. That's what Psalm 119 was about. Put the Word of God in. You put the Word of God in. And that change occurs. God changes our heart. Right? He says, I'll give you, I'll take out the heart of stone in Ezekiel. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And that's what we want. So verse 6 now he, he kind of shifts, okay? He gave his, his um, lament, Lord save me. Now he's going to move toward confidence in God. Look at verse 6. So I said to the Lord, you are my God. But sometimes you guys got to repeat this to yourself. I said to the Lord, you're my God. You're, you got to remind yourself, right? It's not you. You're not God. <laughs> Somebody else is. Right? Who's the changer of hearts? You? Last I checked, we try, but we don't. Who changes hearts? God changes hearts. So he says, he says, look, I said to Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, I said to Yahweh, you are my God. You are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications. Oh, capital L-O-R-D. See it again. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Yahweh. And then you'll notice in verse 7, some uh, uh, New King James at least says it this way. Oh God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. <clears throat> Other translations will say, Oh Lord, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. That first phrase is Yahweh again. So I think for whatever reason, translators do the whatever they think carries that concept across the best. But the idea, hear the voice of my supplications, Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. That's what it says. Yahweh the Lord. Is, is Yahweh your Lord? Is God your Lord? So a lot of people are, especially in our world today, more than happy to, to ask God for salvation. I have people in my own family that think, you know, somehow they got fire insurance. Once a thousand years ago they said this phrase, Lord, I believe in you. And now we're good. Jesus said, in the day of judgment, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? What does that seem to indicate? That would seem to indicate that he's not your Lord. That phrase is just another word. Lord is just another word for sovereign or king. Is Yahweh your king? Is Yahweh the one to whom you look to make the calls in your life? Or are the calls in your life made by you? You need to decide who truly is your God. He said to Yahweh, you are my God. You're my king. So if your word says, I can't do this, I don't do it. If your word says, I shouldn't be like this, then I need to lay that down and say, I submit to you. You're my Lord, Adonai, my sovereign. You guys understand what I'm saying? So <clears throat> he's laying this phrase out, putting <clears throat> his confidence in God. What's he say about Yahweh? What, what is Adonai? What is the king? He's the strength of my salvation. What does that mean? I don't save me. 
That's an important concept to really grasp. I don't save me. Who does the saving? Yahweh does. God saves. He is the horn, uh, which means power, the horn of my salvation. He's the power of my salvation. God does the saving. Right? I just call out for help. I just call out for help. Lord save. He does the saving. He's the power of our salvation. The strength of our salvation. And what else? The protection in the day of battle. Look what it says. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Well, it's important to have your head covered in the day of battle. Right? So, but who's his covering? Yahweh is. Yahweh covers his head on the day of battle. Yahweh's the strength of his salvation. It's that picture that as God, Jesus said, if, if I begin a good work in you, what will he do? He'd leave you halfway, quarter of the way. He might get bored with the project and say, you know what, you're too much work altogether. No, what's he say? If I begin a good work in you, Paul says he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, until we see Jesus face to face. God starts, God finishes. Make sense? So he's saying, Lord, my confidence is in you. So do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further the wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Again, his lament, Lord, don't let this wickedness prosper. That should always be our prayer. Because I don't know about you, but in the world, wickedness prospers. So what is it that God's people are supposed to be doing about that? Well, one of the things we should be doing is praying that it doesn't continue. The word tells us things happen when God's people pray. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, right? If they repent and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their cries from heaven and I'll heal them. I'll heal their land. I'll touch. This should be the heart of God's people. Now we move to the prayer of vindication or the imprecatory part. Go get them, God. As for the head of those who surround me, listen to these one, two, three, four, five, six things he's going to ask for. Let the evil of their lips cover them. So whatever lies they're telling, just let all those lies settle on their own head. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. All three of those are metaphors for let God judge, let God judge, let God judge. So saying, judge the wicked, judge the wicked, judge the wicked. Then he says, let not a slanderer be established on the earth. God, don't uh, let liars get away with their lies. And then the final thing, let the evil, let evil hunt the violent man and overthrow him. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter cut off the ear of Malchus. He said, he who what? Lives by the sword does what? Dies by the sword. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. When you hear it. Many times in my life I thought, I, was, I coached football for a long time. I coached football here for four years. I coached football for, for ten years in California. And seen a lot of kids, a lot of different kind of kids. And I remember early on in coaching thinking, you know, that kid just needs to get whooped. If that if that he would get whooped, I think that attitude would change. 
And I remember this one particular kid. Man, he's the meanest to this day. Uh, I count him as one of my friends, but he's one of the meanest people I have ever known in my life. Mean. Like, if he likes you, you're golden. He don't like you, move. Live someplace else. It's just not worth it. And one day, he's walking down the road and his truck pulls over and people jump out and just beat him to a bloody pulp in the road. Drive away. And I remember thinking, well, there you go. Now, that should put some nice in him. No, it did not change one lick of him. He was just as mean the next day. Why? Because all violence does is beget violence. All hatred does is beget hatred. Jesus said, whatsoever a man sows, what? That shall he also reap. It just comes, that's just, that's just death bringing about death. What is it that brings change? Love of God, man. Love of God brings change. Change in our attitude. Change the circumstances around us. Forgiveness is an incredible thing. The only thing that changed my life, guys, was the forgiveness of my wife. I could have been just as mean and rotten as I was all those years ago in the Marine Corps if she had never forgave me. But she forgave. There's a lot of power in that. I think we sometimes sell it short. So he's saying, let the violent men, the men that are out with the sword causing trouble, just going to keep coming around. Right? Look, I tell you the truth. There will never be peace for ISIS. Never. There will never be peace for Hamas. There will never be peace for Al-Qaeda. Why? Because violence is their, is their motivation. And if violence is a motivation, what does violence beget? Violence begets, violence begets, violence. And the answer is got also to be more than more violence. Because for all of, me, all of time, just listen, for all of time, someone out there thought, I can wipe out wickedness if I kill them all. In France, they thought the wicked were the rich. So on Bastille Day, what they do? They drug out all the wealthy and all the rich, entered into socialism and brought out the guillotine and cut off all their heads. And what happened? They themselves became the wicked to try to get rid of the wicked. And what happened? Wickedness prevailed. You understand what I'm saying? So God's word, man, it's... Violence does not bring the answer. What brings the answer is something that Jesus came to give to you and I. That's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Put the gospel in a violent man's heart and it will change him. That's how it's done. That's how it's done. It says in verse 12, I know. I just want you to look at that phrase. I write in my Bible, scribbles all over it. I circle the I knows. He says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Both of those, you need to understand those phrases because they, throughout the Psalms, become metaphorical. Okay, the, the afflicted are always the oppressed. And the oppressed are always for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? So when he's talking about the afflicted, he's not just talking about randomly afflicted people. 
He's talking about those afflicted for the kingdom. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. And what? All these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do, how that's all going to work out. First, priority, make it the kingdom of God. And whatever you do, and all those other things will be added unto you. Think of Joe Russell. Joe Russell does the rocket car wash. My son worked for him here in Twin Falls. And when he put that in, they told him, if you don't open on Sunday, you'll never make it. And he said, well, I'm not open on Sunday. It's just not going to happen. Number one grossing car wash in the nation. In Twin Falls, Idaho. Isn't that a little weird? Hey, this is not like a million people live here. It's not L.A. Right? But here, a man who honors God seeks the kingdom first. And what happens? All those other things still come back. Because he honored God first. Because he said, you know, I'm going to do God's way. What did God tell the people, the children of Israel? Look, if you work six years, the seventh year, you take off, give the land rest, don't plant. I'll give you enough in the sixth year to carry you through. And they never trusted him for that. They never trusted him. Sometimes we should just trust God. What is God telling us? What directions does he give us? Now, I'm not telling you guys work six years and hope for a double year. That was the deal with the Jews. If you can tell me you somehow are the, the nation of Israel, you get a, a, a full year off. But otherwise, to, to, as far as I know, you and I are Gentiles. We, we're shirt tail relatives, right? But there are things God tells us to do. Follow those things God tells us to do. He says, seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added. So the Lord knows he's going to be with the afflicted. And he's going to be with the poor. The poor becomes a metaphor for the godly. Why? Because eventually, if you choose to live your life not by the world's rules, if you choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to do it the way the world does it. I know that, that, that maybe I get ahead that way, but I'm not going to do it. Then that in the Psalms became known as the poor. Became a metaphor for the godly. People who just want to do what God says, how God says it. Perfect example, Jesus told a parable in Luke. He said, there was once a rich man. God didn't know his name, right? And there was a man named Lazarus who was very poor, who daily sat outside the rich man's door begging for scraps. They both died. The rich man went to hell. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. He was poor, <clears throat> but he was also godly. Becomes a metaphor for those who say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, even though I got nothing, I'm still going to do it God's way. I'm, not, I'm choosing not to say, you know, I'm going to pitch all this and do it how the world does it. I'm going to do it God's way. And God brings his blessing. And by the way, an eternity with God is a pretty good blessing. Verse 13, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. So you see him go through his lament, the imprecation. And then here he is. He's like, hey, <clears throat> I know God's got this. You guys with me? So that's the journey through those psalms of lament. Look at Psalm 141. It's going to start the same way. 
Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. So there's urgency. Man, I need you, God. This, you know, something bad's happening. Give ear to my voice when I cry to you. And let my prayer be set before you as incense. See, the incense in the tabernacle and in the temple was always a picture of the, pray, the prayers of the people. And the prayers of the people were always a sweet smelling incense to God. God likes it when his people pray. We ask the wrong questions when we say things like, well, isn't God just going to do what he's going to do anyway? Yeah, he likes your prayer. Give it to him. Well, is it going to change anything? Look, I don't know. You need to pray it and let's find out. But if you don't pray it, you're doing two things. You're not asking God for help, one. And two, you're not doing something that pleases him. It's not hard is it it's not hard to pause before your meal and, and thank god for his provision it's not hard to 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 go with your spouse or your children in the evening and and make a prayer unto god why because it's pleasing to god it pleases him when his people pray when we ask him for help it's pleasing look at the next phrase and the lifting up of my hands as the evening Sacrifice. Lifting up of our hands in worship shows two things. Dependence on God and praise to God. Dependence on God because it becomes a picture. The picture of lifting up your hands is like a child, a little child running to his dad and lifts. What do they do? When they run to you, what do they do? They run to you like this. A a two-year-old who does this to me gets what? Picked up. That's how it works. I have yet, as far as I know in my entire life, of being a grumpy old man to push a kid with his hands lifted up to me and say, no, no, get away. You put your hands up to me, you get picked up. That's the rule. So is it different with God? If I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, is God different? So we lift up our hands to God. What's he say? He wants to, he wants to pick us up. He receives that praise. Again, it's pleasing to him. It's pleasing to him. Look, I'm not telling you to lift your hands. I'm tell- not telling you not to lift your hands. I'm just telling you it makes him happy. And the benefit, just like picking up a little child, God wants to scoop you up. And every once in a while, I don't know about you, but I need a hug from God. It's been sometimes rough days. And I just want to know that uh, my Father in Heaven is willing to still give me a little hug. There's nothing like it. In worship and having that that uh, that beautiful sense of being in God's presence in that time. Now he says, now he's 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 asking God for help. Now look what he's asking God for help with. It's crack up. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Oh, so you you thought Jackie's kind of crazy. This wicked being inside sometimes. Well, what's he talking about? He, next, keep watch over the door of my lips. What's he saying? God, help me shut my mouth. That's a legitimate prayer. (laughs) Some of us need to pray, God, help me open my mouth, too. But at least if you haven't opened it, you don't have to try to take anything back, right? Put a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. So the first thing he talks about, sins of speech. God, guard my mouth. James gives a whole chapter to it, right? About the tongue. Setting forests ablaze, James chapter 3. 
the tongue as a little member, but boasts mighty things. The sins of the speech. Then he talks about sins of the heart. And do not incline my heart to any evil thing. So his first prayer for, for dealing with his struggle that he finds himself in, guard my mouth and protect my heart. We, gotta, we, we have to be... We have to make that an important thing, protecting our heart. We got to make it an important thing, protecting the hearts of our kids. Because, man, growing up, I just eat up violence. I just eat it up. I don't mind watching it. It doesn't bother me seeing it. Doesn't ever has never freaked me out since probably birth. Uh, and that's not protecting your heart. Because, because more often than, than uh, me saying, Oh Lord, help, um, I'm quick to look around for a stick or a stone. So I need God to help me not incline my heart to, to wicked things. I, I want to have, have His heart. If God calls me to pick up a stone, right on, I'll pick it up. But if God was calling us to that, don't you think he had told Peter, get that sword and start whacking people? But uh, wait a minute, he didn't do that, did he? And in Romans chapter 8, he said, I'm sending you out like wolves among sheep. Right? That's what he said? Oh no, doggone it. He said it the other way, huh? I'm sending you out as sheep to the slaughter. When's the last time you come running up on a sheep and went, Whoa, scary. Looks like a cotton ball with legs running around. Nobody is afraid of sheep. I'm not saying sheep don't bite. Sure, they bite. You decide right now. I'm afraid of a sheep bite or a lion bite. Yeah, I'll take, I'm in line for the sheep. He says, Lord, incline, do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Anything that's like the world. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like Jesus, right? Isn't that our goal? And then the third thing, sins of action. To practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. I don't want to do what they do. Right? You guys are all seeing it, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to have sins of speech. So guard my mouth. And don't incline my heart. I want to protect my heart. I want my heart to be like the heart of Christ. And I don't want to do. I don't want to have sins of action, sins of the heart, or sins of speech. So verse 5, he says, So let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. He just gave you an expression of love. When we rebuke someone else, or when we go so far as to strike someone who's headed in the wrong direction, the psalmist, I believe, is saying this is an act of love. How does he call it? It shall be a kindness. Chesed. It's a Hebrew equivalent to agapeo. It's a kindness when we turn someone around. I, um, so I got a drum. I've been beaten for a while. And maybe one day I will never have to beat that drum no more. But 
we've got a thing. We go out to, to Planned Parenthood. Well, I recently got a letter from uh, some guys who, who hadn't been super involved, who are starting to get involved in, uh, in other ways. And one of the things, you know, they want to uh, reach out to the moms who have aborted their babies, let them know Jesus loves them, that he forgives them. Is that all? That's all true, right? Yeah, that's all true. You know how f- I can find a lot of people who want to do that. But you know how few people I can find that want to stand up for the baby the day mom goes in and say, please don't go? They're killing babies here. So <clears throat> when he says, the, a lot of times people tell me, Jackie, it's not loving. What do you mean it's not loving? Psalms tells me a strike on the cheek and a rebuke to turn someone away from sin is loving. To remind them that when you leave today, today is abortion day. So whoever walked into Planned Parenthood today killed the baby. They didn't leave, not a mom anymore. They just left now a mom of a dead child. And we stand there not to be mean or hateful or hurtful. We stand there to say, don't do that. I don't want you to have to become a woman who needs to know that God forgives and that God will love you anyway. Why don't I want to do that? Because I'm a dad of two dead kids. So I, I know what they do. I'm not speaking from some hypothetical place. That's real. And all those years ago, just between you and me, I wish somebody was there to say, don't do that. It might have been enough. That guy standing there with a sign saying, please don't murder your baby. Might have been enough. But one thing's for sure, I wouldn't have been able to walk in and say, nobody said nothing. And currently, nobody walks through the doors of Planned Parenthood in twin without being warned of the reality of what they're doing. And I think there's value in that, right? Now, I'm not saying that God won't forgive and that, that you're, that's not the unforgivable sin, right? But now you're in another category, man. What category is that? You're just like me, man. You're a murderer. And that's an important place to not be, I think. I'd like to not be in that category. So it's important that we understand, I think, what he says. The right, let the righteous strike me. That's, you know, I hear sometimes, man, it's too harsh. It's too harsh. Don't. How can you hold a sign that says babies are murdered here? Because, oh, I don't know. Because that's what they're doing. This is not just, just some, we do it in the dark where nobody can see it. It's really going on. Every single Wednesday. Crazy. But I'm hopeful. And we're just a little place, right? We're not like some big city someplace. We're just a little place, but you know what? Maybe we can make a dent. Maybe we can make them move. Maybe we can make them go somewhere else. Pack up. Move to somebody else's county. 
And we'll just bust people. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But that stuff's got to go away, man. That's not okay with God, right? Do we get that? God is not okay with that. Any part of it, that's wicked. And the church is pretty quiet. To be honest with you, there's one man standing on a corner. Most of the time. One guy. But at least there's one guy. Praise God. There's always room for more. If you want to be the righteous who strike and rebuke, and maybe one day, praise God, one day I pray every day. If someone will just say, because look, we'll, we'll adopt your baby. I'll take them for crying out loud. We'll do whatever. I'll pay the medical expenses. You don't got to do this. You don't got to do it. And I'm hopeful one day we're going to be able to lift up a child and say, this baby was saved. And I'm going to dance a jig that day. But unfortunately, it's not today. But we want to understand that that is an expression of love. He says, he goes on, For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. I love that phrase, by the way. My prayer is against what? The deeds of the wicked. Why? They need to stop. Turn, repent, and what? Live. But they don't get to keep doing the deeds. You can't make peace as a wicked. You can't, you can't say you're going to celebrate my sin. I ain't never going to celebrate your sin. You can say, if you don't celebrate my sin, I'll put you in jail. But pretty soon all the Christians will be there. It'll be easy. We'll all be able to meet together. We're not going to have any hassles. <clears throat> right on. You got to repent. You got to change. He hates the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered in the mouth of the grave, as when one plows and breaks up the earth. What's he saying? Look, I'm out there. Uh, how, how did John the Baptist say it? I'm a voice in the wilderness, making straight paths for the Lord. Do they love him? Some people did. Why? Told the truth. What's the truth? Yeah, that's sin. You need to repent and be right with God. He didn't do it in hateful ways. Right? He didn't do it in hateful ways. There's some hateful people out there, right? With hateful, horrific signs. Why? I have no idea. They forgot about following the Jesus. Remember I said, if you do the things the way the world does, you just end up being just like them. Man, we want that, that change to take up. And so, what happens? Our bones are scattered. Nowhere does God say, you know, if you do all the things I'm asking you to do, everybody's going to love you. They're going to take care of you. Nope. What's he say? Bones are going to be scattered at the mouth of the grave. Like plowed up ground. Bones all over the place. Man's, a man's got to make a decision, man, on what side of the fence he's on. And if I am for God, I'm with God, then that's it 24-7. Not 24-5. Or 24-2. The whole deal, man. Lock, stock, and barrel. We want to stand with the Lord. And then look at, look at verse 8. But! Even though all that stuff's true, right? All that stuff's true, all that heavy stuff, but my eyes are upon you, 
Oh God, capital letters, that's Yahweh. Oh Yahweh, the Lord. There's that phrase again, right? Is Yahweh your Lord? Is he your king? Is he your Adonai? Adonai was the call you would give to any sovereign. Any, any king would hear that phrase. Is, is Yahweh our king? My eyes are on you. And in you I take refuge. So do not leave my soul destitute. So first thing he said, look, Lord, you're my refuge. And then look at the next phrase of verse 9. Keep me. Keep me. From the snares they have laid for me. Now what are the snares? The snares, guys, look, people have done this stuff wrong a lot. What are the snares? The snares are what happened early on in the, in the days of some people in Operation Rescue. The snares are, you know what, we can stop this thing with violence. Let's go blow one up. Let's go kill the doctor. Let's go, what does that do? That, don't, that just made you wicked like everything else. You can't change hearts by becoming wick, more wicked than they are. That don't work. Because wickedness prevails. It just changes faces. Yeah, you can wipe out everybody in ISIS. You can shoot them all in the head. Then you're just like them. And wickedness prevails. That's God's job. Bible says when Jesus comes back, he's not going to need our help. We're, I think we're on track to be in Revelation three weeks. So, three, three more weeks. I'll finish Psalms. If a miracle happens, two weeks. But I'm not pulling for a miracle right now. <laughs> and it won't be in the beginning. But as we get to the end of Revelation, listen, we're going to read about a day when Jesus Christ returns. And it says, the, the Old Testament scriptures tell us, who is this? Who comes down the valley of Jezreel from Basra. And his vestibule is covered in blood. Who is this? And Jesus responds and he says, It's me, it's I, the Son of Man. I have been trampling the grapes of wrath. Alone. He don't need your help. When it's God's time for judgment, He's not going to need you. And that will be a bad day. He didn't call us to that. The Lord said, vengeance is mine. What? Ah, yes, vengeance is mine, save the Lord. What's the next part? I will repay. Me? Am I supposed to go do it? <clears throat> nope, God said, it's mine. I'm walking that valley. I'm stepping on necks. I'm busting skulls. But that's a bad day. And he don't need my help. He gave one commission. What was it? Go into all the world. To every nation. Every? Every nation. Most nations? Nope. Every nation. Is there one too wicked to go to? Nope. Jonah found that out, right? Jonah was so mad about having to go to Nineveh. You remember? He was mad. Oh, if they repent, you'll forgive them. That's exactly how some people feel about Muslims now. No, if they repent, God will forgive them. 
We need to shoot them, kill them all. They're all evil. Well, that part's right. They're all evil. They have that in common with the rest of us. We are all evil. And apart from the grace of God in landing you where you landed, you could be just like them. You grew up on the mean streets of Syria. What do you think you'd be like? So was it something you did that landed you in Beulah, Idaho to grow up? Where people don't chop off your parents' heads? Violence begets violence. Jesus is going to take care of it. Until then, one commission. You go tell everyone the gospel. You go tell everyone the gospel. Because the gospel of God is the power of God to salvation. The gospel of God is the power to change people's hearts. I saw a sad thing posted. Uh, <clears throat> on so I don't do much on social media because I'm afraid I'll say stuff I can't get back. So part of guarding my mouth is I don't say a lot. you know. But I know there are some really bad things happening in Twin Falls. It's bad. It's wrong. I'm not in any way suggesting anything was right about any of it. But I saw a post by somebody saying, replying to someone else who had said something, people I didn't know. They said, well, what about that friend of yours that just says they need Jesus? Now, what do they think now? Yeah, they still need him. What is wrong with you people? I think people are passing out crack too much around here. They need to stop. Man, I'm telling you, violence begets violence. It becomes a breeding ground. Look what, I'll tell you, I got to stop, or, but I'm going to finish. So, I've been to Israel eight times over the last 20-some years I've been, I've been doing ministry. And I've watched that place change. They say, we're going to stop bombings. We're going to stop terrorism. So they granted areas to Palestinians where there's a big beef, right, between Israelis, Jews. They're all Israelis. They all live in the same place. But between Jews and Palestinians, big beef. So what did they, the way they took care of this, the problem was oppression. They built a huge wall. You know, when we drive down from Jerusalem toward Bethlehem, the entire city is surrounded by a wall you can't climb over. You can't see the city until you wait in line for, could be an hour, to go through all the checkpoints to make sure nobody's got nothing to blow nothing up. And now you can get into Bethlehem. And when you get into Bethlehem, you're going to look around, you're going to see poor destitute people who right or wrong you know i don't know maybe some people say they made their bed who are oppressed because of the deeds of hamas by the way that phrase hamas means the violent who are oppressed as a result of these terrorist regimes but let me ask let me just let me just tell you this that oppression breeds terrorists do you understand that that oppression breeds 
terrorists. And what comes out of there? People who want to kill Jews. So I just want to say, in all the times I've been there, it's not working. Are less people getting blown up? Probably. They're catching more at the border? Probably. But for every one they catch, they just made 10 more. Is that not insane? And Bethlehem's just one. Every Palestinian city has the same wall. Has the same separation. Now, here's the problem. The nation of Israel hasn't submitted to her Messiah. They haven't acknowledged Jesus Christ as Savior. And their hearts are just as wicked as the rest of us. Okay? What's the answer? Jesus. Why do you think they call him the Prince of Peace? Because when he comes, there's no more. It's done. When, when he rules as king, there's perfect righteousness. There has never been that, right? And I just know, for one, I long for that. I just I also know the way to get it's not just by sh- by shooting people. And I was a Marine. They trained me to do that. <laughs> it's in the core of me. But I don't think that I don't think that's the way. You might say I'm crazy. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. But the Bible I read tells me I should expect. Yeah, for sure. Love my enemies. I should expect to be a sheep among wolves. And I've never been afraid of a sheep. Not yet. So that's what he said I'm supposed to be like. He says, be wise as serpents. That's like a picture of the world. Be wise as serpents, but what? Harmless as doves. Yeah, it's hard for me to plug into all that. A lot of the hate that's flowing around. And if our nation don't learn to stop hating, don't learn to stop hating black, don't learn to stop hating white, don't learn to stop hating its brother, then this place is circling the drain. And the only people who have an answer is you and me. And how will they not hear if we don't tell them? And that is the one thing Jesus told us to do. There's a lot of other stuff going on he didn't ask us to do. I'm not telling you to stop doing that. Knock yourself out. Just make sure you're doing the one thing Jesus told you to do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray.